Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Christoph Guger. Uh, he's with GTech Medical Engineering. Christoph, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, tell me about GTech. What uh, What do you guys do there? So GTech is a medical engineering company, and we are headquarters in Austria. So we have two locations in Austria, and also one in the US in Albany, and one in Barcelona. And this year we also start in Hong Kong. And GTech is designing and producing brain-computer interfaces so that People can control external devices just with thoughts. Huh. So you say brain-computer interfaces. What what kind of devices would people control with their thoughts? What have, what's been demonstrated to work? So we use brain-computer interfaces for communication <clears throat> with locked-in patients. So in this case, these patients are completely paralyzed and they cannot move or talk. And with the brain-computer interface, we're able to select letters and words on the computer screen. And this allows them to communicate. Another so uh, an example would be like what Stephen Hawking did. He use a system similar or a system that you guys produced. Exactly. Yeah, he would be an example for using a brain-computer interface for communication. Um, how, would, how would that work, by the way? Like, how would uh, how did the systems that he used, or how would a system like that work? So in this case, we use a so-called P300 speller. And the system will flash different icons, characters, numbers on the computer screen. And the patient is just supposed to look at the character he wants to spell. And then it helps if he counts as quick as possible how many times this character is flashing. And every time when the brain sees uh, a flash, the brain responds with a P300 response. It's a very small brain wave. And the brain-computer interface is able to detect the brain wave, and then we know at which character the person was looking at, and this allows us to select uh, the character to form complete sentences. That's amazing. So, how how quickly can uh, someone put together, you know, words and sentences using a system like that? It's not very quick. So, if you spell character by character, it's about five to six seconds normally uh, for patients. If you are using the system with healthy people, then they can also achieve something like 800 milliseconds per character. So it's comparable uh, to typing with two fingers on a computer keyboard. But of course, you can combine it with a predictive speller, and then you can select words and sentences much quicker. Well, what, what's the rate, you know, the approximate rate at which you can select words? So if you have a, a, a trained library for a patient, then they can write a few words. Okay. Um, so what other devices do you guys uh, make and sell? So these brain-computer interfaces are also used for stroke rehabilitation. In this case, we are measuring or we are instructing a stroke patient to imagine, for example, a left-hand movement. The brain-computer interface is able to detect that the person is now imagining the movement. Then it triggers an electrical simulator, which is fixed, for example, on the left arm. And the stimulator is producing actually the, the hand movement. This is 
uh, very important for stroke patients because the hands were limp, so sometimes paralyzed for a couple of years. And when we perform the brain-computer interface training, then the cognitive processes are paired again with the motor behavior, and the brain learns to control the body again. This also works if the patient has like 30 years before a stroke. Uh, we can regain motor functions with these uh, computer interfaces again. Hmm. Okay. okay. Well, that's good. That uh, it's not a permanent thing, you know. Mm. Yeah, and the, it goes also very quick for some patients. So some people were paralyzed for a couple of years, and then they come in into our rehabilitation center. They train four or five sessions, 40 minutes each, and then the the hand movement starts again. For other patients, it takes much longer. So it is especially if they have spasticity, then first we have to get rid of the spasticity and afterwards the motor functions come back again. Okay. Very interesting. What what, what other uh, devices have you uh, created that uh, you know are, have a lot of uses? Um, another very useful uh, system is our Mind Beagle system. So the, the Beagle is the little dog that you might know from Australia on the airport. These dogs have a very good nose, and in our case, the dog is sniffing in the brain of coma patients to figure out if they have cognitive functions left, because coma really? patients are uh, patients with in the unresponsive wakefulness state or minimal consciousness state. They're just lying there, and they're not really moving. If you if you ask them something, then they, they're not able to give you an answer. Um, but some of these patients have cognitive functions. This means they can understand uh, conversations, but you, you cannot test it. That, that's the reason why we developed the MindPeel system. It's again a brain-computer interface, and we have different cognitive tests, <coughs> like we are instructing the patient to listen to a sequence of tones, so low tones and high tones, like da da and we instruct mm. the patient count only the high tones, and this is producing a brain response again, then we know that the patient is understanding us. And we, if we have tested this successfully, we can also go to communication mode. So in this case, we can ask the, the unresponsive patient something uh, where we know the answer. So is your first name Sarah or something like that? Yeah. And, yeah. and with the brain-computer interface, he can say yes or no. And if the patient is able to answer eight, nine, or ten out of ten questions correctly, then we have a very objective proof that these patients are understanding us. This, of Wait, course, so, you, so you've, you've communicated with people using a brain-computer interface in a coma, and you've gotten at least some people to show you that they are understanding what you're asking them? Uh, yes, but there are different stages of coma. So pure coma is when... Patients don't have cognitive functions, so in this case it wouldn't work. But some patients are a little bit better. So these stages are called unresponsive wakefulness state or minimal consciousness state. We could show that some of these people are able to understand conversations. And That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. The, these patients are sometimes for a couple of months or even years in this state. The family or the physicians don't have any feedback if they're understanding anything. Then we are coming with the mind beagle, and after a few minutes, we can test if these patients can answer yes and no questions successfully. That's, of wow. course, visiting schedule of the family, how you treat the patient, how, how many stories are you, you telling the patient. Can you, um, so 
in these communications, have you been able to tell them, hey, hey man, you're in a coma, wake up? Like, can you tell them to help themselves or can you ask them what they're experiencing? Like, what have you been able to understand by communicating with them? At the moment, we are just limited to yes and no answers. We can ask them at least, uh, do you want to see your children or something like that? Do you want that your family is, is more frequently visiting you? Um, and that's already very useful uh, for, for oh. these patients and also for the physicians and families. And, of course, we, we don't allow questions like end-of-life decisions with the system. No, but what, why don't you say to the person, do you, why don't you tell the person, hey, you're in a coma. Do you realize you're in a coma, yes or no? Do you want to wake up, yes or no? You know, I don't know, that kind of stuff. Like, oh, oh, of course, this is, this is also what we see with our patients. You know, they, they are in a hospital for, for many months and there's no change in the status. And then they come with the mind beagle and they, they get the mean of communication. And suddenly they improve um, because they, they find a way of, of communicating with the environment. Of course, it's not real communication, it's just yes and no answers. But they, they also pick up that the family now treats them differently. So, so all the physicians, the family gets more motivated, the patients get more feedback, they get more involved. This is also causing these uh, positive outcomes in some of the cases. So we, we did also a study where we could show if people can use the brain-computer interface successfully, then they get better or they wake up from, from this responsive or consciousness. Well, have, you, have you seen this has caused some people to wake up? Like what kind of positive results have you seen? This is amazing. Yeah, in, the, in, the, in the best case, they wake up or at least they, they start to establish a reliable communication. So we, we had patients, for example, where all the physicians believe that they're not understanding anything. Then we used mind people in a couple of days, and every day they were successfully saying yes and no. So we, we could convince the physicians that the patients are understanding something. They changed the treatment schedule, and these patients also improved. That's pretty amazing. Have you Have you ever been at the bedside and seen this system being used and seen the responses? Uh, just videos. So I haven't seen uh, these responses personally. So like patients waking up or improving, but, but our collaboration partners are taking videos to document, of course, the, the scenarios. That's very impressive. Yeah, that's really People cool. get also very, very happy. People get very happy if they figure out that patients are understanding them. Wow, that's amazing. Well, after the, in addition to yes/no answers, what else do you think you could ask where you can get a response? Could you say like, you know, more or less or high or low? I mean, it sounds like you could ask a lot of binary choices instead of just yes or no. At the moment, we were limiting the the mind figure system to yes and no uh, answers because that's already pretty demanding these patients, um, and we we don't want to overload them. So at the beginning, we thought to give them many choices, like with the locked-in patients who can communicate with the brain-computer interface, but then we reduced it to yes and no because this is the key question that you want to answer with the system if the patient is able to follow conversations. And then you can objectively test it with the yes and no answers. And this is changing the therapy or the rehabilitation procedure that you're doing with these patients. So the goal is to wake them up or to, to improve their status. Well, why would they feel that well if you ask them more than yes, no? Um, they, they are fluctuating in awareness. 
So we can roughly say that about 30% of these patients don't show awareness, so they are not able to communicate at all. 30% are pretty good on almost every day, so you can ask yes and no questions. And about 30% are highly fluctuating, so they drift in and out. And only on specific days you are able to achieve yes and no communication at all. Oh, so it's um, not all the time. It's, it's not all the periodic. Yeah, yeah, pretty ill. Huh. It's not so so easy to establish. The, well, what are you what are you finding by asking them the yes no questions? Like, what do what, what surprises you? What are the um, the patients respond to that you didn't think they would respond to, and what doesn't work? I mean, how, how has it changed the treatment for some of these people? So important answers are, for example, if they, they want to see their children, so children should visit more often, or also for, for families, so that the family knows it's not useless if you tell them stories pending you. So these decisions, you can uh, monitor the fluctuations and you will see if they show more uh, responses. And this is... If they're improving or not, yeah. system, you see if they improve, then you know with your treatment or you are on a good way. Huh. Have you tried to like you know pinch them and say, hey, can you feel that? Yes or no, or brush their hair or that kind of stuff? Like, sure, sure you 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 can do this. That's also nice because this sensory information is some of the last things that that's working in these patients. So they, they lose, for example, very early vision, don't see a computer screen, but they, they feel touch. And this is also something that we use in our brain computing interface. We have actually a little vibrator on the left hand and another vibrator on the right hand. It's like the cell phone, the vibrator call in your cell phone. Right. And they can say yes if they count, for example, vibrations on the left hand. They can say no if they count vibrations on the right hand. So these are a little trick to get uh, the answers out of them. How come you can't ask, ask binary questions like hot or cold, left or right, up or down? Why can't you ask other binary questions? Yeah, you you can do this, of course, yeah. You also ask, uh, just for confirmation, uh, questions like please count the stimuli on the, on the left hand to confirm that this is a yes, and then they have to give us a yes. Same for no. And if we see that they can do it correctly, then you can go to more complex questions. Huh. What, um, like, have you had people that have woken up and have they, do they remember the experience or do they say anything about it? I'm not sure they, they remember the experience. We had also one extreme case uh, like 10 years ago where we used the communication interface, but it didn't work very well. So we, we tried it for, for a couple of days. And nowadays, these, this patient is giving talks about this experience, <laughs> and he, he is reporting that the brain-computer interface files gave him so much confidence that he, he knew, knew that he should change something, and, and finally he, he woke up, and now he's sure. traveling around to, to report about the situation. Have you asked people if they realize they're in a coma, or do you think that question would upset them too much? Um, no, they they know that they are in uh, in such a state. They do. Mm. Huh. What what else have you learned about the brains and the minds of people that uh, are in these states? Do they perceive time? You know, uh, is there anything else that you've learned? Uh, not yet. So the these questions are pretty complicated. 
So the MindVeal system is pretty new, and we are already happy that we could show that many of these patients are able to, to follow conversations. And we started about one year ago to use also the, the assessment result as prediction tool so that we can see if they improve or even if they're able to wake up. And we started also a couple of months ago to use the brain-computer interface for as a rehabilitation procedure. This is like the, the spoke rehabilitation system that I explained beforehand. So we use the same technology also for these uh, patients with disorders of consciousness in, in order to wake them up or to let them improve. And we, we like these applications for many research projects. We use the brain-computer interface also for robotic or avatar control. In this case, we had virtual reality avatars or real robotic human-like avatars. And in this case, the, the goal was to give somebody an artificial body that is just doing what your brain is imagining. And we, we did it with non-invasive sensors. So these are EEG sensors on the surface of the, of the head. But we had also neurosurgeons who implanted the electrodes directly on the cortex. And in this case, we can get very fine motor control. So we can control, for example, a hand, an artificial hand, just uh, with the brain-computer interface. And it's amazing how well the hand control works. And yeah. we can... De decode the, the imaginations from the brain before the patient realizes that he's imagining that the brain computer interface speed is overtaking your own speed. Really? Mm -hmm. how, how does that work? Like you'll think about moving your hand and the hand will start moving before, before what? You realize it or how is it outpacing your thinking? So the brain-computer interface knows that you are now starting to move your hand before you are realizing that you are moving your hand. So we can read it quicker out than you are realizing what you are imagining. Oh. How much How much faster is the reaction time? A uh, few milliseconds. Percentage-wise versus uh, normal reaction time, how much faster can you get with uh, using half this? Half of the time is needed to... Recently, we worked also with the face region of the cortex, so that's the cortical region responsible for recognizing faces or symbols yeah. or characters. And we, we had a very interesting experiment where we trained the brain-computer interfaces on certain faces and kanji characters and Japanese characters and objects. Yeah. The calibration yeah. was done within like 15 minutes. And then the person was observing real objects in the environment, like real faces, real people. And then we could decode in real time what the person is seeing without retraining the brain-computer interface again. So whenever the person looked into a face of a new person, we could recognize with the brain-computer interface that the person is seeing a face or an object or a ball and so on. And in this case, we could also overtake the speed of the person in recognizing which object it is. Oh. It was also nice because we trained on, on artificial images on a computer screen, and it worked also for real people and real objects in the environment. Well, people talk about the grandmother neuron, but what are you seeing when people actually recognize the picture of someone? What, what kind of areas light up and... How many neurons and you know how 
how specific is the uh, reaction from the person's brain when they see a particular person or an object? So it's called the from face area. It's more or less on the bottom of the brain, and it's very specific. So it's just a few square millimeters, which are coding faces. And it's also a very interesting area for neurosurgeons. A few years ago, they didn't know about this region. When there was a tumor there, then they just resected it, with the consequence that the patient couldn't recognize faces afterwards. Um, sure. Nowadays, we can map these cortical regions very accurately, and therefore the neurosurgeon can spare it and doesn't remove this region anymore. Wow. Very well, you're into a lot of amazing technology. Maybe um, let's talk about maybe one or two more technologies you're working on that you're really excited about. Yeah, we we are also organizing for two years now uh, brain computer interface designer hackathons. So these are events where programmers, artists, designers meet for two days, and then they come up with new brain computer interface applications. So in this case, they are controlling drones, for example, or they're controlling prosthetic or, or orthotic devices for hand movements or leg movements. They control smart homes. In this case, you can switch on the lights and control the TV set with the brain-computer interface. And in one of these hackathons in Valencia, they designed a very nice augmented reality game. Um, so they were projecting, projecting in augmented reality three tankers on the floor of a room. And then the brain-computer interface also could control a little uh, robotic bowl. It's called a Sphero robot. So he could steer the, the robot around in the environment. And the task was to destroy the tankers in the augmented reality game. This was a very nice outcome. Or in a hackathon in Canada, they designed a neurosurgery application. In this case, the neurosurgeon was wearing a head-mounted display. And he could see the patient in the operating room. And the brain-computer interface user was just sitting beside him. There's another doctor helping him in the surgery. And the BCI user could pick mentally, for example, the neurosurgery instrument that's used for the resection. Um, so there, there are very nice outcomes in these hackathons that people are developing. Well, if you control something with your brain, with thought versus physically with your hand, does that mean that you get better control or finer control? Or what's the benefit of doing that? So first of all, you can use it, of course, for patients who are completely locked in to give them a body back. Another idea is to do, for example, remote journalism. So if you want to send your avatar body to a region which is dangerous, then you can stay at home and your virtual body is doing the job for you. So this is no, but I mean, let's say, let's say you were a surgeon. You know, you picking up a scalpel versus using a brain-computer interface, or even the Da Vinci robot. You know, you control it maybe with joysticks and stuff like that. How about with your mind? Would you get better performance even than using physical stuff to uh, to move with your body? Like, what about those circumstances? Or piloting a plane, you know, sitting in the One cockpit? To, to give you another limp, because neurosurgeons could also use five limbs, you know, to, to hold all the instruments and do the job. And with the brain-computer interface, you, you don't need a hand for picking, for example, a surgical instrument. This was the goal in this case. And then you could also monitor the brain waves to, to see, for example, if the surgeon is making a mistake and you can react accordingly to, to the mistake and correct it. 
Um, so there, there, there are many different ideas which are explored in different research projects at the moment, but these ideas are all for the future. Well, I guess the scary thing is, have you been able to send the communication the other way? Have you been able to stimulate someone's brain so they see or hear or smell something that isn't there, or they think something sure. that's not true? Um, this is also a standard procedure which is done in neurosurgery nowadays. So if you want to figure out if the cortical region is responsible, for example, for hand movement, then you stimulate different regions of the brain. And as soon as the person cannot move the, the dump anymore, then you know you, you have found the dump area. And then you are, you are careful when you are resecting close to the dump area that you're not touching or destroying it. And we, we recently did a funny experiment with Dr. Kanada in Asaikawa University in Japan where we had an epilepsy patient, and the mm -hmm. epilepsy patient was looking at the black box and the basketball and also the white sheet of paper. And while he was doing that, we stimulated the face region. And with that stimulation, we could produce the illusion of a face on the black box. We could also produce the illusion of a face on the basketball. This was proving that the brain has certain regions which are responsible for very certain tasks, like a few square millimeters which are responsible for faces. So independently what you're doing, looking at the black box or looking at the basketball, we can produce a face on top of that by just stimulating right. these square millimeters. If we stimulate another region, then we, which is color sensitive, then we can produce, for example, a rainbow on the black box or on the basketball. Um, so we can trick the brain with brain stimulation. But brain stimulation can also be very useful. So if somebody doesn't have a hand anymore, then you can design a device which is controlled with the brain-computer interface, but you can also add the, the touch feeling by stimulating into the sensory motor cortex. So if the prosthetic hand is touching something, then the patient can also feel it because you are feeling it's cortex. So brain stimulation is also something very useful. And if you stimulate back the sensory information, then the control gets much better and finer. So it's a way to simulate haptic feedback. Yes. Very cool. Well, Christoph, this has been amazing. It's, it's, it's really amazing the stuff you're working on. Um, what's the best way for people to find out more and you know, maybe contact you or purchase some of these devices? You know, what, how do they get in touch? Of course, that's all possible. So we do many workshops every year from Japan, Europe to the US where people can participate and use the technology. And we do also this brain-computer interface hackathon. So the next one is in Hawaii, afterwards one in, in Austria, and the next one in Japan. So people can just pass by for two days, work with other team members, uh, use the brain-computer interfaces network, find a master or doctor thesis or find a mentor. So these are all very useful ways to get into neurotechnology. So people can, it would be funny if, uh, if people could just reach out with their minds and contact you, but that's not available yet, <laughs> right? They can also, we, we have also a brain-computer interface hooked up to Twitter and Facebook, and then you can post your messages with the brain-computer interface. That's also one of the, Team, teams can register for. So is there a, is there a, a reasonable or low-cost brain-computer device that you guys sell 
where people can uh, get it and try it out on their own? Yeah, the, this is also what we use in the hackathons. It's called uh, the Unicorn. It was developed with Arno Kwiprecht, a fashion designer that is very well known. And people can use this unicorn during the hackathon, check it out if they like it, and if they like it, they can just get it for their own games or research, whatever they want to do. Oh, that's really cool. I'll have to check that out. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Christoph, thank you for your time. And uh, the website is gtec.at, gtech.at. Mm-hmm. Great. Christoph, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.